0: We thank you this today that your Holy Spirit will move on our hearts, open our hearts, open our minds to what you want us to hear and see. And once again, we thank you so much for everything you've done for us. In your name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the, the worship this morning. Um, if you've been tracking with us in the Bible reading plan, we're going to be in John 5 this morning. And uh, I'm excited to share what I believe the Lord has uh, laid on my heart. Um, I just really just want to start off though. If you've been tracking in John at all with us, um, it's been really interesting to see Jesus in his encounters with individuals this whole time up up through here. And uh, we're going to see some individuals, um, the the gentleman here at the well, uh, but. Uh, You know, it's also been interesting because uh, during this time with Eric being on sabbatical, we've had different voices up here. Each one of our interns are getting a chance to uh, preach a couple times this year. And I just want to, first off, just thank the interns. Um, A lot of us uh, may not realize how much um, commitment there is with being an intern, but uh, every Friday they spend the whole day with Eric and in uh, some theological training some practical training um, some of these guys well all of these guys have jobs um, a lot of them have young families and some of them even have businesses they're running and so to take out a day of their week to come and, and, and do that training to uh, get trained and um, and just really uh, learn more about ministry each one of them has a they believe a call, and we believe a call in their life from the Lord. And and really, honestly, if you if you're a believer in the Lord, you you know every single one of us has a call, but um, a, a, perhaps a call to ministry. And so I just want to thank them publicly. Um, there's just a lot a lot of commitment to that, and they also help the, in the mornings. They take turns getting the coffee ready and and uh, setting things up. So I just want to thank them publicly for what they're doing uh, in the church. And it's exciting to me to see this happening. Um, this is what the church should be doing, raising up leaders within the church, um, raising up people to do ministry. And, and you know, it doesn't mean they're going to stay at Mercy Hill forever. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. Uh, we don't want to put that expectation on them. But uh, it's exciting to see what the Lord's doing in their lives. So I just wanted to throw that out. Um, so, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to John chapter 5, and I'm going to read uh, verse 1 through uh, 18. Um, so, if you want to read along with me. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem from the Feast of the Jews. Now, there was in Jerusalem near the sheep pen a pool, which in Aramaic is called Beth and which is surrounded by five colored covered college needs. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One was there, had been the invalid, invalid, can't speak today, for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which it took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow? Who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who had been healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd and there, it, that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, "See, you, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working for this reason. The Jews all tried harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his Father, making himself equal with God. Let us pray and then uh, let's uh, let 's take a look at this this section of, of scripture. Father, once again, we just come before you, and um, we uh, we are definitely not worthy to come before you, but we thank you because Jesus has made us worthy. And uh, right now, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to, once again, open our hearts, open our minds to what you want us to see and hear in this, your word. In your name I pray, amen. This story is kind of interesting. As, as I was reading through it, I was studying this week, and um, I, I, I can kind of dig in, and, and I love the historical context. To um, learning why things happened the way they did, and uh, so it, it's kind of kind of weird to us, probably as Americans. But um, this pool, this pool that that is is uh, uh, they're referring to right here, there was actually a cult centered around this this pool. It was the cult was around longer than Jesus had been around. And uh, there was a, uh, a guy that uh, I'm not even sure what his name was. Um, I read it, and I was like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. But uh, his nickname was Savior because he, he, he liked to try to heal people or, or apparently heal people. And so this cult kind of formed around uh, this pool where he supposedly healed people. Um, did anybody notice as you're reading, if you have a different version than King James, that there is no verse 4? Anybody notice that? Reading it this week, kind of a kind of an interesting uh, tidbit there. If you go, uh, it, it, I, I'm reading out of the NIV. Down at the NIV, that the very bottom of it, uh, verse four is down there. And and the reason they they kind of pulled it out was because um, it. it, it Appeared in different manuscripts later on, but some of the earlier ones, the, the ones that we, we look at and say are are, are truly inspired, uh, we uh, it didn't appear in there. So, um, but verse four kind of explains what's going on here. Um, let me let me read it. It says, "And some um, yep, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one in the pool after each." Such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. So there was some kind of uh, folk tale, if you will, some kind of uh, uh, cultic weirdness here. But basically, anytime the pool stirred up, the first one in was cured. That was that was the the folk tale around this. And so you have, if you can picture this, this this, this pool, and um, you have all these people that are sick, all these people that are lame, all these people that, that need something, right? They're all hanging out there, waiting for this pool to stir up so they can dive in and be the first one in so that they can get healed. And so they are, their whole attention is on the pool. And it says this guy, he was, he's been, in fact, the pool means house of mercy. That's, in Arabic, that's what it means, house of mercy. And, and so the, Jesus comes in, and this guy's laying there, and he's been lame. He's been invalid for, for uh, 38 years. Imagine that. I'm uh, 45, so I can't imagine that most of my life I would have been on a mat. And we, we don't know how old this guy was. Was he born this way? Uh, did he later in life, something happened to him? We don't know that. But for 38 years, he's been this way, and he is so focused on how to get healed that he's focused on the water and here comes Jesus and he, he looks at him and I mean it's kind of an obvious question right I mean the guy's there for a reason he's wanting to get healed most likely and Jesus asks him you want to get healed and what's what's the first things of mouth I can't get in the water fast enough everybody always jumps in ahead of me I I, I, I can't do it da 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 and Jesus looks at him and says, get up, pick your mat up, and walk. And immediately he's healed. Immediately he's healed. Now, that's amazing. <laughs> that doesn't just happen every day. And as he's walking around, what happens? Well, the Jews, they see him carrying his mat, which was against Jewish law. It wasn't against God's law. It was added on. We're going to talk about that here in a couple minutes. He's walking around with his mat. All of a sudden, the Jews are like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're sinning against the Sabbath. <laughs> and they light him up for it. And they said, how dare you? And he, then he's, he automatically goes into, wait a minute. It wasn't me. <laughs> the guy that healed me told me to pick it up and walk around. <laughs> it's a weird overall situation, isn't it? You, you would think if you were the guy that's been 38 years on a mat, you'd be like, I just got healed. <laughs> not, not, not passing the buck and saying, well, Jesus told me to walk around with it. it, it it's, it's an interesting story. It, it's, it's almost humorous in a way. And then he comes to, Jesus finds him later and says, look, it would be better for you not to be healed if, if you're going to continue to go on, go on sinning. And once again, I want to look at that later. And after he figures out it's Jesus, he goes back and tells the Jews, it was Jesus that did this. And the Jews' response to this is, let's persecute Jesus. Let's go after him. Let's even try to kill him because he's disobeying our rules. He's healing. How dare he heal on the Sabbath? It's interesting, isn't it? If you break it down, it... it, it, what in the world's going on here? And um, I think both these, both these parties, the invalid, the guy that's been on the mat for 38 years, and the Jews themselves, they had the same situation going on in their lives. And you look at this and you're just like, what, what is that? Both of them have made assumptions. Both of them have false expectations on how God is going to work in their lives or how God is going to move or how God is going to do things. And these false expectations, these these assumptions that God can only work in a specific way has led them to a couple of things. The first one, and then, and then this, this is something that we need to be aware of because ourselves can be this, in this condition, is that we miss God. We totally miss God, miss Jesus, and his heart. If we make assumptions about God, if we make false expectations about God, we actually miss God. We don't even see who he is. Now, if you look at the invalid, right, he had no clue who had healed him. He just knows somebody told him, get up, take your mat, and walk. And then it says Jesus disappeared in the crowd. Now, physically, he missed him, right? He was like, where'd he go? I don't even know who that was. But not only did he miss him physically, he missed him spiritually. The guy was healed, praise God, 38 years but he missed missed Jesus. Jesus comes back later and says, look, something worse can happen to you. What's that worst than being 38 years on a mat? Well, it's eternal life, guys. Think about that. I mean, Jesus can heal somebody, and they still miss Jesus. They miss the fact that he is salvation. That he is God himself. That We can have life abundantly in him, life after death in him, with a relationship with him. He missed it. He missed the fact that Jesus was offering more than just a temporary healing. Because honestly, every single one of us are going to face death, physical death, in this world, aren't we? What about the Jews? The Jews of all people should have known who Jesus was. They were gods and they are God's chosen people, right? It even says later that you know that you diligently study the scriptures and you you, you know all these things about God because of the scriptures, because of the Mosaic law. And yet, they missed Jesus completely. They missed God incarnate, God in the flesh, because of their expectations—be it political. You know, uh, uh, the Jewish uh, people were under Roman law. They were under Roman, under the Roman Empire. They were occupied territory with the Romans, and they they were kind of expecting this this political leader to rise up, to take over the Roman Empire, to to, uh, make them a a kingdom like David had. And that was their expectation of what the Messiah was going to look like. And it's interesting to see how when Jesus comes on the scene and he proclaims who he is, does these miracles... And they miss him. They completely miss him. And in fact, they miss him so much that they actually want to go after him and persecute him and kill him. The irony is deep there. The second thing, when we, when we make assumptions, when we, we assume that God is going to work a specific way or God's going to show up a specific way, when we have these false expectations of what God's going to do, we get frustrated. We get frustrated. And I, I think, you know, I can make a case here. Um, we didn't hear the tone of the invalid. But, you know, as, as Jesus says, do you want to get healed? I can just hear the, uh, imagine the frustration on the invalid's voice saying, I can't do it. Everybody's jumping on the water before me. I can't get healed. And that being his primary focus of how it's not working out. We look at God's chosen people, the Jews, once again. What's their response to Jesus? They're frustrated enough that they start persecuting him. They go after him. They say they want to kill him. And I believe that's out of frustration. Because their God would never show up on earth this way. The perception of God would, no, God wouldn't work this way, would he? Would he? Um, one of the one of the uh, Old Testament characters I love is Elijah, and um, I want to take us back to 1 Kings chapter 19. And you want to hear someone that's frustrated, frustrated with the circumstances, frustrated perhaps even with God, is Elijah. Now this is after the showdown with the prophets of Baal. Um, all the prophets have been killed. The people of Israel. Um, uh, they had two piles of wood, and the prophets of Baal prayed their, their false gods, and they didn't show up, surprisingly, and the wood didn't burn. And over here, Elijah, he prays, and there's fire that comes down from heaven after even soaking in down the wood. So that, that's the context here. And, you know, all the, all the prophets of Baal were put to death by the people of Israel. They rallied and said, we know God's our true God. And all of a sudden... You know, I'm sure Elijah has these expectations of, like, now everything's going to be fixed and not so much. The queen actually puts a, puts a price on Elijah's head, and it says he was actually afraid. Now, what's so interesting is that Elijah just went through all this stuff publicly, and he's afraid of this one woman, and he, runs, he literally runs for the hills. He's, he's, he, he's complaining this whole time. He goes, I've had enough, Lord. Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. That's in verse 4 of 19. Later on, in verse 10, he goes, "Um, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Once again, out of frustration. Speaking to God that way, out of frustration, out of honesty. And he goes on, and he, he, he cries out to the Lord again. And he says the very same thing. And the Lord answers him in verse 18. And I love this answer. And um, partly because I love it is because, like, I've been there myself. I'm like, God, why am I the only one, right? Has anybody ever been that way? Like, man, look at our society. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. And yet, 18 God finally answers them and says, Yet I have reserved 7000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So basically God's like saying like you don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. I have reserved people. There are people that have 7000 Israelites that have never bowed down to Baal, never worshiped him, and you think you're the only one. I love that answer because it it reveals to him in that moment of his frustration, thinking he's the only one, he's the only one ever going through this, that no, there's more going through it. There's, There's a remnant there. There are people that have not bowed down to anything except for God himself. And sometimes that's a good reminder for me. I like going to this verse at times and looking at this and saying, you know what, there are more More people out there that are probably more faithful than I ever will be. And even though I can get frustrated at times, maybe with my circumstances, knowing that God God is in control and God God has it. The next point I'd like to go to is we try to control. So if if things aren't going the way we, we expect them to, our assumptions about God aren't happening. The false expectations that, you know, honestly, you know, I expect God to show up here today. I expect his Holy Spirit to be here. Why? Because I know he's alive and well and he's doing things, right? The thing is, I don't know how he's going to do things. And I think that's where we can get in our false expectations of who God is and, and try, to, try to control things. If things aren't going exactly the way we want them to, the way that we think God should be working, then we try to take control of that. Maybe it's in our own personal lives. Maybe, maybe um, taking control of the things that we don't have, you know, that we have little, little things of perceived control over. And so the invalid, once again, I, I, I think it's also interesting, I think he spoke out of frustration about how he wasn't able to get healed, but I think it was also the fact that it was kind of a control issue for him. You know? Well, I can't do it. I can't do it. Instead of really saying, yeah, I want to get healed, that was kind of a control thing for him. I, um, as some of you guys know, I, I used to be a chaplain at um, one of the local nursing homes, and um, I had a, 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 a resident there named John. i loved to death, but he was wheelchair-bound, and uh, he's passed away maybe a couple years ago from a heart attack. But um, he, even though he, was, he had no control over his legs, no control over anything with, with uh, just little things that we take for granted, he was a control freak. And what I mean by that, I would, I'd, I'd have to leave uh, a good 10 minutes early to go get him for church because... He would be a control freak on every little thing in his room. His pillow had to be just right. Had to be laying just right. The, the flap just under the pillow. And it had to be smooth. And his call light had to be wrapped around the bed just a specific way. I'd, I'd Sometimes I'd spend five minutes wrapping it a specific way just so he would be happy so we could go to church. In the way, that sounds like it's a pain. But... If you really think about it, it was the only control that he had in his life. He was in a wheelchair. He had to have someone help him go to the bathroom, change him. Sometimes he'd have to have people help feed him. It was a control issue. It was the only thing he had control over. Control. We like to try to be in control when things feel like they're out of control. It's interesting with the Jews, right? What kind of control did they have? Well, God said, keep the Sabbath holy. Well, guess what? We're going to really make it holy. (laughs) We're going to add all kinds of rules and regulations on it. We're going to control what it looks like for it to be holy. Um, Interestingly enough, another John um, about 15 20 years ago I used to uh, sell lumber and uh, we I'd go to all kinds of different wood shops and um, this one which and, and I would I would build really good relationships with some of these guys a lot of times when I'd get there they would shut down the shop um, I'd get there right around breakfast time or lunchtime for some of these guys and um, they'd shut down the shops and let's let's talk and in Ebley, I would be talking about theological stuff, and uh, this one guy, he, his name is John, he was actually a bishop in a low-order Amish church. Uh, a lot of times we would call them Swartz and Trooper Amish. And so, you know, they would be, he'd be, he was super low as far as, like, you know, uh, no air tools in the shop, uh, no uh, triangle on the back of their buggy, no windshield. And one day, I just, got to, I just, I just asked him an honest question, Right. I said, do you really think these rules and regulations are going to get you to heaven? He said, no, no, it's not, it's not going to get us to heaven, it's Jesus. And I said, okay, good. And I, I truly believe he believed that. And I said, then what's, what's up with all, these, all this stuff? All right?" And he said, well, it's the good of our, our congregation. It's the good of the church. We've got to put guardrails up. That way no one falls into sin. And it's really interesting to hear that. And I, I truly believe, you know, this is where it kind of firm for the Jews. You know, we we got to put guardrails up. we got to make sure that someone's not going to sin. Well, I can't imagine how exhausting as a church leader that would be to have to start policing everybody, making sure that they're... Staying this far away from sin. And, you know, and we all know, according to what the Bible says, sin originates in the heart, right? All of us, all of us deal with sin. It's a heart issue. But there is a control issue there, right? We expect God, we assume that God is going to do certain things. And so therefore... We have to have control over that. Um, Worship team, you can come on up. Um, I just want to share a couple more stories here, Um, one from the Bible, the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph is one of my all-time favorites in 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 the Bible. The story of Joseph, we see... Where early on in his childhood, he has a dream that his brothers, his father, are going to bow down to him, right? And he shares that dream. He shares that, and he goes, you know, I'm sure he had some kind of expectation of what that was going to look like. But if we know the story, the brothers are jealous. The brothers act like they kill him. They sell him into slavery. He goes to Egypt. He's sold as a slave there. He seems to be doing well for a while. Accused of rape. Thrown into Egyptian prison. And there, you know, he he kind of flourishes a little bit. He's given some freedom. He's, he's actually given some responsibility. And it looks like there might be a chance to get out. He interprets a dream. Doesn't get out right away. But, you know, eventually he's brought before Pharaoh and he is actually put second command of the land because he interpreted a dream and used wisdom on how to deal with what was coming up that famine, right? And the story is interesting because unlike myself, <laughs> he, he saw how God worked. He saw how God worked. He, he um, even though he probably had an expectation of what it was going to look like someday, at the end of his life, at the end of, end of uh, when his brothers, when he rescues his whole family out of famine, Joseph's response to them in uh, Genesis chapter 50, verse 19, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid, and this is his brothers he's talking to, I am in the place of God, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What wisdom! what awesome uh, insight to how God works. Even after being thrown into prison, after being separated from his family, he realized that God had all this stuff happen to him so that he could actually save his family. That's awesome. He didn't get bitter about it. He just said, you know what, this is how God worked it out. The other story I want to share is this for my own personal life. Um, a couple years ago, um, I was driving along in Ellensburg, and I, I saw this house. And um, we had been talking about it as elders of, of perhaps uh, making some kind of discipleship house, something like that, in Melsburg um, and a uh, uh, you know a training house, a place that we could we could do outreach in the community, and. Um, I, there was something about that house that just struck me. I, I saw the back of it. I was driving through the main drag of Millsburg. And uh, uh, that, that afternoon, I had lunch with Eric, and I, I just shared with him. And he goes, well, let's, let's just drive by it. Let's see what's going on. And, and we drove by it, and there was a for sale sign in, in front of the house. And we're like, okay, this could get interesting. So we bring Conrad and, and Neil in on the conversation. Um, that night, I, I believe that we, we drove there, and we prayed over the house. And there were some specific things that we prayed over the house you know, one that God would be glorified, that God would use it in the community, and that, that you know, people would get saved through it, um, and, and some other specific things, and, uh, you know, we, we were really uh, just praying through it, um, kind of opened the conversation up with more people in the church, and... Uh, As as things get getting closer and closer, and and it seemed like after that, there was like roadblocks everywhere. Like, uh, it didn't work this way, it didn't work that way. Well, then we were like, well, maybe, maybe it was a maybe we're supposed to look at a different house in Millsburg. So we, I don't know how many different houses we looked at. um, um, and 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 nothing worked out, nothing worked out. And it just was like, what is going on? I know God spoke to me, I know God spoke to me, I know God showed me something in that, and, you know, I became frustrated over the year, um, us praying about it, we were still talking about it, we were still, um, you know, maybe looking at different homes, and, and nothing worked out. Well, about a year later, um, I went to a uh, Love Inc., I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Love Inc., but it's a great organization here in the community that helps out the community. Um, they, they network with local churches. Well, they had all uh, pastors come for their uh, uh, just kind of a, uh, a summary of what has happened in the past year and some of their different things that they're doing, and, and uh, maybe we want to get involved with at different churches. And it was really interesting because they have a couple houses throughout the community that maybe some were donated to them, maybe some they, you know, uh, through different circumstances, they, they were somehow able to use for, for ministry. And uh, lo and behold, the house that we prayed over a year ago, year before that, was one of their houses that they were using for everything specific that we prayed for was happening in those houses. What? <laughs> what in the world? And I asked, I said, what, uh, what's the story on this house? Well, they said, yeah, someone bought it, didn't know what they were going to do with it, and they just decided to donate it to us. Uh, that's awesome. Now, what's interesting is when God showed me that, when God, I felt like God laid that thing on my heart, right, that house, right, I automatically assumed that man, I was somehow going to be in charge of that house, right, that I was going to be somehow, you know, part of this picture. But the thing is, every, every single thing that we prayed over this house was being done, it just wasn't me being in charge of it. The assumption that I was going to have something to do with it, right? That's an assumption that I had. And I was frustrated in that year because I know I heard from God. And, and the reason I tell that story is because, guys, so many times we just make assumptions. We make, we make these, these false expectations of how God's going to do something. Maybe we hear from him. Maybe maybe we know we heard from him. But he somehow works it out differently than we expect it to. Just be encouraged. Know that God is always working. Know that God is always doing something. Know that God, behind the scenes, you know, and he doesn't always have to let us know how he's going to do it. Um, I I think that, you know, it's just part of God's grace and mercy that he actually let me know that that house was being used for him. Just be encouraged and know that God is, God is alive and well and doesn't always have to work the way we want him to. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you that you love us and that you care about us and that um, You work in spite of us, that you work everything out perfectly. And uh, right now, I just pray for each and every one of us that we will be led by you, that your Holy Spirit will um, um, just lead us day by day. Um, Once again, I just thank you for you and the fact that you have saved us. In your name I pray. Amen.